you were employed on January 21st, 1969, and continue to be employed until March 14 of this year. Is that correct? That's correct. Mr. Butterfield, are you aware of the installation of any listening devices in the Oval Office of the President? I was aware of listening devices. Yes, sir. I've kept my secret for 50 years, and I would have kept it for 50 more, but, but I think it's time the world knew the truth. And I'm hoping for a book deal. I've written a children's book about Richard Nixon. It's got bestseller written all over it. Welcome to the South Mims U podcast. This episode reveals the solution to a mystery that is half a century old. Why did Richard Nixon, or at least someone working on his behalf, erase 18 and a half minutes of the Watergate tapes? That gap has long baffled historians. And as we reach the 50th anniversary of that infamous break-in at the Watergate complex in Washington, D.C., our American Studies Department is ready to solve the mystery. The solution is both surprising and revealing. But first, let's set the story into context. The first clip you heard at the start of the show was the moment when it was revealed that President Richard M. Nixon routinely recorded the conversations he had with his staff and visitors in the Oval Office, as well as his other office in the White House. And the second clip, well, that was Laurie Semple, a resident of South Mims, who holds the key to this secret. But before we get to Laurie, let's start with the man who revealed the existence of the tape recording system. He is Alexander Butterfield, a White House aide to the President. The most famous gap until the revelation that 18 and a half minutes of the tape were missing, was the hesitant pause between the question put to Butterfield and his answer. It was a moment that marked the beginning of Richard Nixon's eventual downfall. Let's listen to what I like to call the Butterfield Gap again. Mr Butterfield, are you aware of the installation of any listening devices in the Oval Office of the President? I was aware of... Listening devices? Yes, sir. What these stories, the story of Watergate, the story of Richard Nixon, and the story of the truth of what Nixon erased from his tapes, reveal a particular truth about history itself. You cannot assume that there are patterns in history, even though you might think you can discern them. And you can never rule out the most mundane and frankly stupid motivations for actions by people in power, which ultimately lead to their downfall. As soon as the existence of Nixon's tapes were known, Nixon clearly panicked. But not because he knew the tapes would incriminate him in the plot of which the Watergate break-in was one small part, but because he was vain. Let's go back in time from 1972 and 1973 to the famous TV debates between John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon during the 1960 presidential election. It was the first time that the two candidates for the presidency had debated each other live on television. His experience has been different from mine. Mine has been in the executive branch. His has been in the legislative branch. I would say that the people now have the opportunity to evaluate his as against mine, and I think both he and I are going to abide by whatever the people decide. Senator Kennedy? Well, I'll just say that the question is of experience, and the question also is uh, what our judgment is of the future and what our goals are for the United States and what ability we have to implement those goals. Abraham Lincoln came to the presidency in 1860 after a rather 
Little known, a session in the House of Representatives. It was a surprisingly polite debate, more a conversation than the kind of knockdown political fights we witness nowadays. The big lesson of that debate was that the world had entered a new era of media-driven politics. JFK was telegenic, energetic and glamorous. Nixon had been vice president to Dwight D. Eisenhower for eight years and was seen as a little dull, a bit too serious and most of all, shady. Why shady? Because of his five o'clock shadow. JFK was lean and fit. In fact, he was spectacularly unhealthy in reality, but he masked the effects of his various conditions very well. Nixon was sturdy but pale-skinned with a heavy, dark beard. No matter how much he shaved, he always looked like he needed a shave, and audiences thought that meant he looked, not quite honest, a bit tricky. Hence his nickname, Tricky Dicky. The concept of the five o'clock shadow was turned into a mid-century meme by advertisers. One manufacturer of razor blades, Gem, ran chilling radio ads like this. Avoid five o'clock shadow. Use Gem blades. Use Gem blades. Sounds like something out of a dystopian sci-fi movie, but it is real. The idea that a man with a five o'clock shadow was somehow unkempt, untrustworthy or just a deadbeat was used relentlessly and it rubbed off on Nixon. Let's go even further back. In the 1952 presidential election, Nixon was Dwight D. Eisenhower's running mate, but his position was put in jeopardy when he was accused of personally benefiting from a political donation of $18,000. So he went on TV to refute the charges. He managed to do it with his famous checkers speech. He spent 30 minutes explaining that the money was purely used for campaigning. Then he went through his income and assets in great detail. And he won the hearts of the audience, despite his sweaty appearance and heavy five o'clock shadow, with this famous section. Every dime that we've got is honestly ours. I should say this, that Pat doesn't have a mink coat. But she does have a respectable Republican cloth coat. And I always tell her that she'd look good in anything. One other thing I probably should tell you, because if I don't, they'll probably be saying this about me too. We did get something, a gift, after the election. A man down in Texas heard Pat in the radio mention the fact that our two youngsters would like to have a dog. And believe it or not, the day before we left on this campaign trip, we got a message from the Union Station in Baltimore saying they had a package for us. We went down to get it. You know what it was? It was a little cocker spaniel dog in a crate that he'd sent all the way from Texas. Black and white, spotted. And our little girl, Tricia, the six-year-old, named it Checkers. And you know, the kids, like all kids, love the dog. And I just want to say this right now, that regardless of what they say about it, we're going to keep it. Nixon was off the hook. His image, underlined by the constant newspaper cartoons that accentuated that five o'clock shadow, wasn't transformed, but his place on the ticket with Eisenhower was saved, and Nixon duly became vice president. Fast forward back to those TV debates with JFK. There was no scandal to dog Nixon at that time, just that heavy beard. 
JFK used makeup usually, and so did Nixon. But on the day of the first TV debate, JFK made it be known that he would not use makeup. So Nixon had to follow suit. But secretly, he sent out for a packet of something called Lazy Shave, a product that masked the appearance of stubble. I don't know how successful it was, but it existed. Men bought it, and Nixon was one of them. The debate is famous because of a simple fact. Those who only listened to it on the radio thought Nixon had won. He was the man they believed the most. The TV audience, on the other hand, said that JFK was the winner, and the election that followed was, and it's always described this way, decided on a razor-thin margin. JFK got around 100,000 more votes than Tricky Dicky. Nixon gracefully conceded and, as it was assumed at the time, went off into the political wilderness. But in 1968 he was back, and this time he'd learned his lesson. No more five o'clock shadow and no more Mr Nice Guy. He won with a populist campaign and then won again in 1972 with a landslide over the Liberal Democrat George McGovern. But Nixon's paranoia proved to be fatal. He set in motion a secret plot to infiltrate the Democratic campaign, not just to find out what they were planning, but to see if they had any dirt they might throw at him. All the polls said Nixon would win, but he couldn't shake the scars of the past, that image of Tricky Dicky with the heavy gangster-like stubble, and he made some unbelievably bad decisions. So, what's the big revelation? This is where Laurie Semple comes in. I spoke to him just a week ago, he was talking to me over Zoom from the care home where he now lives. He doesn't allow visitors as he's afraid of viruses, and not just COVID. You've got to be careful of that monkeypox. It's all over the place. My daughter's ordered one of those bubble things, you know, um, uh, an isolation bubble. There's a cheap one on Amazon, which looks good. It's coming tomorrow, I think. I'm sure you're safe from the monkeypox, Laurie. They don't clean the spoons properly in this place. The spoons? Terrible hygiene. I have my own sterilising unit. Argos do one. You should try it. So, Laurie, let's talk about Watergate. And let's talk about that 18 and a half minute gap. Yes, that gap. That disastrous gap. The press speculated about what that could be. And they never even got close to the truth. Well, let's put the gap in context, because I think that's important. It is. It is um, especially important. Oh, hold on. Uh, hold on. I need some oxygen. Uh, are, you, are you OK, Laurie? Oh, the air in this place is loaded with heavy metals. It's the M25 motorway that does it. Well, we can, we can do this some other time, if you like. No, 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 no. I, I might not be here next week. I'll just take one more hit of Tibetan air. T Tibetan air? My daughter, she gets me tanks of it from a warehouse in Stevenage. Not as expensive as you think it would be. OK, right, OK. So the break-in at the Watergate complex occurred during the early hours of June 17th, 1972. I remember it well. What, you weren't there, were you? <laughs> you couldn't have been. They asked me to come, but I wasn't feeling too well. Oh, and why did they ask you? I had a method of using hair oil to open locks. Really? 
they decided to use masking tape to keep the door open. And that's how they got discovered. The tape was too visible. If they'd used my hair oil, they'd have been fine. Nixon would have stayed president. <laughs> Such is history. OK, so the burglars were discovered and they appeared in court later that day. The fact that they were well-dressed burglars, who included one man known to be working with the committee to re-elect the president, caught the attention of Bob Woodward of the Washington Post. And the rest is history. We all know that. Woodward and Bernstein, one had a good haircut, the other a very bad one. Uh, right, OK. Well, on June the 20th, Nixon had a meeting with his chief of staff, a man called H.R. Holderman. Mr. Crewcut. Very boring hair. No style at all. <laughs> right. And this meeting is where the gap in the tape happens. And the secret is, I was in that meeting. Right. It was speculated that the reason this particular section of tape was deliberately erased was because Nixon and Haldeman discussed the break-in and the fact that it was carried out by operatives working on behalf of, and with the full knowledge of, Nixon himself. Oh, well, they did talk about Watergate. Right, so you're confirming that the tape was erased because it would prove that Nixon ordered the break-in. No, not at all. Oh, well, it's long been speculated that in this particular meeting, Nixon and Haldeman conspired to do everything possible to ensure that their links to the burglary would be covered up to protect the president. Oh, that's far too obvious. You see... History doesn't work that way. So why did they erase this particular 18 and a half minutes? Because of me. You? Why? I was Richard Nixon's five o'clock shadow advisor. Well, that's not a job I'm familiar with, and, and I think I can safely say it's not the usual kind of advisor that, that presidents have. Oh, they have barbers and dressers and PR people and media people, and I was part of that team. And how did you, a young man from South Mims, get to be working for Nixon at the White House as his five o'clock shadow advisor? I was a star barber, a barber to the stars, a prodigy with scissors and cutthroat razor, the heir to the hirsute heraldry of the elegant gentleman. Yes, Laurie, I I've seen your file of clippings. You did make quite a splash in the early 70s in London, didn't you? I almost gave the Beatles a haircut just before their famous rooftop concert in January in 1969. I was working near Savile Row, and George Harrison had the idea that they should all be similarly coiffured for the show. But it, but it didn't happen, did it? Oh, I blame Yoko. She was worried I'd give them crew cuts and they'd look like Vietnam vets or something. Strange woman. Well, you must have been incredibly young, Laurie. I was 21, and in my prime, I'd been likened to both Picasso and Leonardo da Vinci. Well, it's an odd combination. It's all about art, dear boy, art. The ability to capture the essence of a man's soul through his haircut while still being able to expand the boundaries of what's possible within a given art form. And you were already known for your ability to mask the dreaded five o'clock shadow, isn't that right? Yes, I gave the closest shave of any barber and my secret was a double-bladed razor adapted from a Japanese fish knife used to prepare deadly blowfish for human consumption. 
Well, that sounds quite, well, very strange. I mean, quite frightening, to be frank. Well, it was the only way to control the five o'clock shadow. You have to remember, young man, is that at that time, having a five o'clock shadow was considered slovenly, shifty, uncouth. Yes, we've established that already. Well, you know, the designer stubble did not become desirable until the 1980s. I personally believe it was the beginning of the end of Western civilization. It's been nothing but decline ever since the unkept male became the norm. Horrible. Oh, I need my pills. My, my pills. Uh, are, you, are you okay, Laurie? You want to carry on? Are you okay? Yes, 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 yes. The truth must out. Okay, so you're a famous young barber. From South Mims. I put the place on the map, you know. Indeed, you did. But but how did you end up at the White House? Well, I was featured on a BBC documentary called Monitor, which was an arts programme. And Nixon's wife, Pat, charming woman, so simple, so good, saw it, told her husband. And then a CIA operative approached me and made me an offer which I could not refuse. So they offered you a lot of money. And a trip to China with Nixon. What, you went on that historic trip in 1972? I did. Though my presence was kept secret. I even gave Chairman Mao a haircut. I could do nothing for him. Communists don't have good hair, you know. Leonid Brezhnev? Impossible. So you travelled with Nixon quite a lot, did you? I went everywhere with him. So I know that those 18 and a half minutes were not erased because of Watergate, but because of me. OK, so be more specific. Why? <laughs> Nixon always wanted to come across as an ordinary man. His Chequers speech in 1952 was full of references to his ordinary upbringing, the fact he had no advantage as a young man and that he had to make his own money. That was the opposite of Kennedy. If it got out that he had a five o'clock shadow consultant, it would play badly with the Republican voters and the independent voters. So why not just shave more often? Because it didn't help. And he was always being made fun of because of it. He wasn't a Trump who seems to ignore people laughing at his ridiculous hair and his fake tan. Nixon understood that you had to minimise the opportunities your opponents have to find fault with your appearance. Nixon was ahead of his time, but behind the growth of his beard. Oh, that's nicely put. <laughs> Thank you. OK, so the meeting, what happened? We were discussing a new treatment I'd devise, a new way to cover up his shadow with a powder I'd formulated from ingredients with gathered in China, I can't reveal what they were. OK, right, yeah. Nixon was worried that if it came out that he was hiding his five o'clock shadow with a Chinese formulation, he would be accused of, well, vanity, and he'd be subject to conspiracy theories about being chemically brainwashed by the Chinese communists after his visit that February. How can a face powder brainwash you? Oh, dear boy. A conspiracy theory doesn't have to make sense. In fact, if it were to make perfect sense, it wouldn't be a conspiracy theory now, would it? Do you think all this modern QAnon nonsense holds water? Not at all. 
Nixon understood that simple mundane facts can lead some people, especially those with malicious intent, to spin them so that they become a whirlwind of innuendo and lies. And how did they erase the tape? I neatly snipped it with my most delicate of scissors. And it's that simple? Yes, it's that simple. But Nixon's secretary tried to take the blame for the erasure. Oh, yes, the lovely, the loyal Rosemary Woods. Mm, She did try, poor thing. She said she was transcribing that section and answered a phone call and accidentally pressed the wrong button on the machine, which started the recording process and so erased the tape. It was a good try, but no one believed it. And it's not true? No, a clumsy publication. Well, that's been fascinating, Laurie. Oh, no. Oh, no, let, let, me just, let me just check my heart monitor. Oh, 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 it's a little irregular. I must rest. Please tell the world about the truth. Richard Nixon deserves so much more credit for what he achieved than he gets. Well, we'll see about that. I must go. I'm exhausted. Please put a cheque in the post, dear boy. I'm sorry, but we don't pay people to be in our podcasts. Oh, goodbye, dear boy. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. I wish all history were as interesting and surprising as that story. Who would have thought that an obsession with a five o'clock shadow would lead to the downfall of an American president? That simple revelation by Alexander Butterfield after an agonising moment of internal conflict led to the demand for the tapes from the Oval Office and the erasure of that 18 and a half minutes and the loss of confidence in Nixon across the US Senate and House of Representatives to this historic moment. I have never been a quitter. To leave office before my term is completed is abhorrent to every instinct in my body. But as president, I must put the interests of America first. America needs a full-time president and a full-time Congress, particularly at this time with problems we face at home and abroad, to continue to fight through the months ahead for my personal vindication would almost totally absorb the time and attention of both the President and the Congress in a period when our entire focus should be on the great issue of peace abroad and prosperity without inflation at home. Therefore, I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Vice President Ford, will be sworn in as president at that hour in this office. Have a look at that clip on YouTube and you'll see no five o'clock shadow. Laurie Semple, the master barber from South Mims, had at least shown Nixon how to cover it up. It was a pity that, for his sake at least, he wasn't that good at covering up the crimes that led to Watergate. It's a lesson for us all. Thank you for listening, and please check out our other episodes and tell your friends about the South Mims U podcast. Goodbye.